0: It goes without saying that the apostle Paul was an extraordinary individual, and as such, he serves as an outstanding role model for each of us to imitate. In fact, what's interesting was this morning in our Sunday school class we were we were looking at the life of the apostle paul. we were last year we began looking at twelve persons called wise in the scriptures, and it just so happened that this morning, we were on the Apostle Paul and uh, we saw some of his faults and failures and his strengths and weaknesses and we also looked at some things that we can learn from his life that his life teaches us. And so it's fitting that the Apostle Paul as an extraordinary individual turns out to be a very, very vital and important role model for each of us. If there's anyone who succeeded In living the Christian life successfully, it was the Apostle Paul. But how did he do it? How did he accomplish it? What principles led him to such greatness and spiritual success? Well, hardly any other passage in Scripture provides such a to-the-point summary of the key principles of Paul's life as his letter to the Philippians. And that's what we want to look at today. A couple of verses in Philippians. Beginning with verse 12. I do not mean to say I have already achieved these things. Or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. See as far as the apostle Paul was concerned. He didn't consider himself as already having attained perfection. Perfection in this context is a reference to the issue of conformity to Christ. It never occurred to Paul that it was possible to reach a state of sinlessness or to arrive at a position in life where further progress could not be realized to any extent. He more than anyone else, was most aware of the reality that satisfaction is the grave of progress. And sadly, many people have experienced that in the past year. In order for the purpose that Jesus, served, Jesus Christ saved him for to be fulfilled, Paul decided that he needed to press on. The purpose of that momentous encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ when Jesus sees them on the road to Damascus is very, very clear. It was God's sovereign purpose to make him a pattern saint. A saint who patterned his life in such a way that all of us could look at it and say, this is what God wants me to be. God wanted to show through Paul's life what he could do and would do in a human life that was Totally and fully surrendered to him and Paul allowed that to happen Paul's perfection of conformity to Christ is not yet finished. He's saying The process was still going on and Paul structured his engagement in it to be so intensive that God's work of grace Would not just continue But it would deepen and I trust that that will be the desire of all of our hearts today first of all Paul's pursuit of perfection involved having the ability to concentrate. The ability to concentrate. He says in verse 13, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, not yet. But I focus on this one thing. Paul's intense focus on Christ caused him to be described by many around him and in his day, and even today, as a fanatic. Fitting label because a fanatic is a person who does not change his mind or change the subject. That was Paul. There was only one subject he talked about, only one desire by which he was motivated, and only one purpose for which he lived, and that was to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ every day of his earthly existence. It was His central purpose for which he concentrated all of his energies. It was the secret of his successful spiritual life. One reason why so many, so much effectiveness, so much effectiveness, ineffectiveness rather, in Christian living today is not because of a lack of love or a lack of desire. We all have those things. It is a lack of concentration. Our time, energy, money, and interest are all diverted in so many different directions that God gets lost in the shuffle. An outstanding concert pianist, violinist rather, found herself, her energies consumed by non essential matters. Her violin either received the tail end of her day or it was just totally neglected altogether. Success only came when she made the decision to concentrate. She said, I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was completed. It was a program of planned neglect that actually accounts for my success, end of quote. Planned neglect of non-essential matters permits concentration on priority matters. So it was with the Apostle Paul. When it came to concentrating his attention on Christ, Paul was very, very selective in what he allowed to capture his attention. This was the key of his spiritual success and it can be yours and mine in 2015 if we are serious about forgetting the past in pursuit of perfection. But then secondly, of four points we want to mention today, Paul's pursuit of perfection also involved having the ability to cancel. Not only could he concentrate, but he could also cancel. He says, My dear brothers, I have not achieved it yet, but I focus on one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. One way Paul concentrated on the present was by forgetting the past. Anything in the past which could, which could hinder his spiritual progress in the present, he canceled out of his mind. In other words, Paul knew something that many of us don't know. He knew exactly how to forget. Do you? Many of us are still, in 2015, many of us are still hanging on to some things from 2014 that really run rough short of our lives. The reason why many are not able to achieve spiritual success today in their lives is because they carry too many burdens from yesteryear or yesterday. Learning how to forget is the secret to spiritual success. And that is what Paul is teaching us here. Believe it or not, there is a need for us to forget our accomplishments of the past. There's a necessity for us to do that. Why? Because being so captivated with what God has done or has used to do in our lives, or being so fascinated by some spiritual mountaintop experience of yesteryear can cause us to miss the new and exciting things and victories that God wants to accomplish in our lives this year. Without a doubt, there is a justifiable need for us to Forget our hurts. All those hurts of the past. There is a justifiable need to forget them. You see, because without being hurt, occasionally, it would be impossible for us to relate to others who hurt. In other words, we will not be able to genuinely and truthfully say when someone is hurting and you go to them to assist, child, I know what you're going through. Without being hurt, we couldn't say that. Paul experienced the same things in his life, but he learned how to cancel them out by turning them all over to God. But there's also a justifiable need for us to forget our failures of the past. Every day of our lives, our well-intentioned efforts are ruined by mistakes that we make. When we're not denying Christ, we're ignoring him. Just like Simon Peter in the courtyard. With all of those moments of denial. When we imagine seeing the hurt in Jesus' eyes. And feel so guilty. That we just want to die. We just want to just give up. But when we think of Paul's past. We're reminded that. He found forgiveness for all of his failures through the Lord Jesus Christ. Take this challenge today, right now. Take this challenge. Scrutinize your conversations about spiritual matters. Is your conversation in the past tense or is it in the present tense? Is God at work in your life Right now, as Christopher testified when he shared this morning, is God at work in your life right at this very moment? What's God saying to you? If not, you're probably, probably hung up on accomplishments, hurts, and failures of your past. For each of us, our past is littered with both spiritual And spiritual victories and defeats from personal friendships and feuds with probably loved ones, friends or co-workers to healing and hurtful relationships with others but the past is behind us can't do anything about it what we can do with our past is learn from it And that's what Paul is talking about here. Forgetting the past. Paul's ability to cancel by forgetting what was behind him was one of the secrets of his spiritual success and greatness. And it can be yours and it can be mine in 2015 if we are willing to forget the past in pursuit of perfection. But then certainly... Paul's pursuit of perfection also involved having the ability to continue. Not only did he have the ability to concentrate and the ability to cancel, but he also had the ability to continue. Think of all that Paul did during his lifetime. The cities that he conquered for Christ. All of the churches that he had organized and founded that were now flourishing at this point in his life. All of the epistles that he wrote and and all of the significant accomplishments that he made during his lifetime. And now, picture him sitting in a damp Roman jail, almost at the end of his life. And what does he say? What does he say? What does he write to us? What kind of encouragement can he give us in his predicament that he sits in at this particular time? I've done enough now and I'm ready to retire. Most of us would probably say that at that point. No. He said, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, which is the key verse of the passage, says, I press on to reach the end of the race the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Is that what you're looking forward to in 2015? The end of the race to receive the prize? You see, Paul was more than willing to continue by pressing on to new heights and not dwelling on the accomplishments of the past. Convinced that there were always more mountains to climb. There were always more lives that needed to be helped. More churches that needed to be founded and built and established. More personal victories that needed to be won. More truths that needed to be preached and taught. More work to be done. By saying, "I do not regard myself as having laid of it yet," Paul expressed his ability to continue in his commitment to Christ. That was the secret of his successful spiritual life. One reason why some Christians are so ineffective today is because they've given up too soon. Too many have retired hung up their spiritual uniform, ex- taking a, an extended sabbatical, as it were, when they should still be running the race. We've all heard of Wrigley's chewing gum, haven't we? Well, while a friend of chewing gum magnet Wrigley was sitting next to him on an airplane one day, he asked Wrigley, why he continued to advertise so extensively when his business was, such, was already such a success. The perceptive businessman responded, for the same reason the pilot of this airplane keeps the engines running while we're already in the air. Paul refused to live on the momentum Of yesterday's victories because he was too busy embracing the challenges of tomorrow's opportunities what about you here's the principle for us that we can take like Paul let us press on toward the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus verse 14 until Jesus calls or until he comes Paul's goal was not just to know Christ, not even just to be like Christ, but to be all Christ had in mind for him to be. It was the goal that required all of Paul's energies, and he exercised it to the fullest. After all, think about it. If there was anyone who had a reason to forget the past, it was Paul. Why? Because, as we mentioned in class this morning, he was a co-conspirator in the death of the first Christian martyr. Now, isn't that something you'd like to forget? He held the garments of the people who stoned Stephen to death. And his holding of the garments indicated his approval that what they were doing was the right, he, he agreed with it. And stoning was a gruesome death in those days. So if anybody had a reason to forget, it was Paul. But here's the principle we can take from Paul's life. As we look at 2015 and try to put behind us the mistakes and the, and the, and the failures of 2014. One except the good example set by the Apostle Paul. Some years ago, there was a, a lot of hype about wanting to be like Mike. Remember that? But how about wanting to be like Paul? Accept the good example set by Paul. Refuse to let anything take your eyes off the goal of knowing Christ. Adopt the single-mindedness of an athlete in training by laying aside everything harmful and forsaking anything that could distract us from effective Christian living. This is what Paul's life teaches us. See, we've all done some things we're ashamed of. All of us. And we live on the, the anxiety that we have, of, of what we have been and what we want to be. Because our hope in, is in the Lord Jesus Christ, however, we can let go of the past guilt and look forward to what God will help us to become. And only God can do that. Don't dwell on your past. Instead, grow in the knowledge of God by concentrating on your relationship with him right now. Realize that you are forgiven. And then move on to a life of faith and obedience. Look forward to a fuller and more meaningful life. Because of your hope in Christ. What is holding you back right now? What is it? The ability to continue was one of the secrets of Paul's spiritual success. And it can be yours and mine in 2015. If We are really serious about forgetting the past and pursuing perfection. But then fourth and finally, Paul's pursuit of of perfection also involved having the ability to comply. He had the ability to concentrate. The ability to continue. He also has the ability to comply. What does comply mean? It means to conform to submit, to obey. Verse 15 says, Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. In other words, let as many as are spiritually mature, like Paul, share Paul's willingness to suffer and die for Christ. And if necessary, bend over backwards in pursuit of putting on the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know what it means to bend over backwards, don't we? This is the, what can be described as the mature view of the Christian faith. That some people call extreme and radical and fanatical. When you live this kind of life, people will call you that. Because they don't understand who you're living for. But Paul says that those who are spiritually full grown will consider that this is only this is the only sensible reasonable practical response to the one who willingly shed his blood on Calvary's cross on that hill called Calvary so many years ago. Paul realizes that everyone will not agree with adopting such a seemingly risky philosophy but he expresses the confidence that if anyone is really eager really interested really enthusiastic to know the truth of the matter is God will reveal it to them when he says if you disagree on some point God I believe God will make it plain to you and God does so all the time see one reason why there's such an easygoing, complacent Christianity today is because many don't really want to know the truth. Many are not willing to obey the demands of ultimate Christianity. To those who are willing to follow God, God is willing to reveal the truth in every possible way. But then Paul adds in the meantime, we should live up to any light the Lord has given us by saying, We must hold on to the progress we have already made. That's verse 16. But then the question is, why is this so important? Because it is unacceptable to waste time waiting until we reach a fuller knowledge of Christ, of what is required of us as Christians. So while we're waiting, since you want to wait, while we're waiting, for the Lord to reveal the full implications of the cross to us. Paul says we should comply with whatever measure of truth God has already given us. God has already allowed us to receive. You see sometimes we can. It can be so hard trying to live the Christian life. That it leaves us exhausted and discouraged. Some believers are at that point right now. Sometimes we think we can, we can never please God with our life because we feel so far from perfect. When Paul used the word perfect in verse 12, what he meant was mature, complete, not flawless in every detail. And so the principle for us then is those who are mature should press on in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing full well that Christ will reveal and fill in any inconsistencies between what we are and what we should be. Whatever Christ provides should not be considered as an excuse for lack of devotion, but accepted as relief and assurance to make us feel even more driven in our desire to live for Christ. And so Paul's challenge to both the Philippians and to us gathered here today is to pursue Christ-like behavior By following the pattern, he said, by imitating both his example and the example of others who follow him. He says in verse 17, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Now I'm sure all of us here can look at and think of individuals today that we have embraced as a pattern for us to follow. Well, that's all that Paul is saying. While some are comfortable saying do as I say but not as I do, not so with Paul. The fact that he could ever write such words is a fitting tribute to an exemplary lifestyle and the reason why he could actually hold up his own life as a model of wholehearted devotion to Christ and his cause was because He had the ability to comply with what God had called him to do. This this doesn't necessarily mean that everything that Paul did should be copied. Because remember what he says in verse 12. He says he was not perfect. He says I have not yet achieved perfection. But because he focused his life on being like Christ. His advice is we should do the same thing. Since the written gospels were not yet in circulation as we have them today, Paul couldn't tell believers, you know, go read the Bible and see how Jesus lived his life and just do that. And so he did the next best thing. He urged them to imitate him whom they can see, whom they can identify with. And so the principle for us that we can take with us today as we leave is. Telling believers to follow his example was a testimony of Paul's character. Question is, can you do the same today? What kind of Christian would a new believer become by imitating you? It's something to think about. Because people are watching you even when you don't even realize it. People are looking at your example to determine how they are to apply the scriptures to their lives and how they are to live out the life that God has called them to. And just as those whom Christians should follow are described in verse 17, verse 18 identifies those whom Christians should not follow because of their their ability to comply will be hindered. Now, you know, there are believers today who are following other individuals uh, who don't mean them any good with regards to their spiritual lives. But they're following them anyway, nevertheless. Verse 18. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. Now he's talking to believers. He's talking to Christians. Whether we are whether he's referring to the false teachers mentioned in verse 2, we don't know. Or professing Christian teachers who turned liberty into a license. To sin by using grace as an excuse for sin? Paul doesn't say. He doesn't identify anyone in particular. But I'm sure, if we think about it, we could probably think of some people. Having warned the saints about such persons previously, he does so again. But this time he does so with tears in his eyes. He does so with weeping. And so we ask the question, why the tears if his criticism is so stinging? If his criticism is so stern, why the tears? Well, because of the harm such persons did among the church, churches of God. Because of the lives that were ruined. Because of the criticism they brought on the name of Christ. Because they were obscuring the true meaning of the cross of Christ. Because it's characteristic of true love as we all have experienced, to weep when disapproving of enemies of the cross of Christ, just as the Lord Jesus Christ weeped over murderous Jerusalem in his day. The ability to comply has a more sobering implication though when it comes to factoring in eternity. When we factor eternity in the equation, The ability to comply has a more sobering impact. Verse 19, for they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and think only about this life here on earth. Destruction doesn't mean annihilation in this context, but the everlasting judgment of God in that place that the Bible describes as the lake of fire some people's purpose on earth is described as only living to eat. Know anybody like that? Those are the kind of people Paul has in mind here when he makes this statement. He said, Their God is their belly. Every activity they engage in, including religious service, is directed toward getting food to gratify their bodily appetites. In other words, in the life of such people, there's no chapel is all just kitchen not only that but he says they have no shame the lack of ability to comply is evident in the bragging about the very things that they should have every reason to be ashamed of is what he is saying public morality leaves little for the imagination someone wrote a song the other day about how people dress when they go to church every earthly thing such as food and clothes and comfort and pleasure is all that fully occupy the minds of these people now if that's the way you lived in 2014 don't make it a habit to go into 2015 with it that's the point that paul is trying to make behaving like they can live for, they are able to live forever eternity and heavenly issues doesn't upset much the mix up in the muck of this world as far as these individuals are concerned. And then Paul wanted to remind the believers that even though Philippi was a colony of Rome. The Philippians uh, and the Philippians were enjoying all of the trappings and protections and, and privilege of Roman citizenship. He prompts, he, it, it prompts Paul to stress the heavenly minded attitude that the believer should have. As a part of their ability to comply. Verse 20. But we are citizens of heaven. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Paul reminds believers that their citizenship is where? In heaven. Not here on earth. And this scripture also clearly teaches. That we are to be subjects to the governmental authorities because they are, they are ordained by God. But we need to take into consideration that as believers, we should be obedient to the government in everything that is not expressly forgive, forbidden by the Lord. Like the Philippians, we are a colony of heaven on earth today. But our first loyalty is to the Lord in heaven. And so as heavenly citizens exercising the ability to comply, we, eagerly, we are eagerly waiting for him to return. Are you eagerly waiting for him to return? We sang that song today. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. I wonder how many of us meant that. Amen. You know, they said sometimes uh, when, when the Lord comes, some believers are going to go up feet first. Because they're going to be holding on to the things of this world. In the original phrase, that word, that phrase, eagerly wait for, is, in, is a strong language. It expresses a, the, the serious anticipation of, some, of something believed to be coming. It literally means to push the head and neck forward in anxious expectation of hearing or seeing something. Is that you, today? Notice a reason for such optimism, which should give us all the more reason to exhibit the ability to comply. Verse 21, last verse. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Now, aren't we all looking for those new bodies? Aren't we? Some are struggling now with all kinds of illness. Amen, Brother Craig? We're struggling. Ain't hey? no boy, no identify. We're struggling. All kinds of ailments. The reason for him changing our bodies doesn't imply that the body is evil or wicked. No implication of that. Because the, any evil actually lies in the wrong that the body is used for. Today our degrading body limits and cramps us. Because it's susceptible to all kinds of things. Wrinkles. People spending millions of dollars trying to get rid of wrinkles. Age. Nobody wants to get old. Sickness. Scars. Suffering. And that dreaded death. One day, however, our bodies will be transformed into a body of glory. Now, while we don't know the full extent of what this all means, we do know that it will no longer be vulnerable to death and decay. We know that. That's a fact. No longer be limited to time and natural barriers. It will be an actual body completely matched to heavenly conditions. The environment that we're going to be in. And even though it will be a body like the resurrection body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each person will have their own individual physical identity. Throughout all eternity. This is the reason why it's so important to comply. And this is what Paul is thinking about. The text does not teach that we will be like the Lord Jesus Christ to the extent of possessing God's attributes of all knowledge and all power and omnipresence and all that sort of stuff. But we will be like the Lord Jesus Christ morally forever because we will be eternally free from sin. Now isn't that great? He is able. This tells us how able our God is. It reminds us that our God is able. He is able to save. Hebrews says, therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Hebrews also says he is able to help. Since he himself was gone through the suffering and testing. He is able to help us when we are being tested. Jude tells us he's also able to keep. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away. And will bring you with great joy into the glorious presence without a single fault. But our text today tells us that he is also able to subdue. He will bring everything under his control. The very same power that the Lord Jesus will use later on to subdue all things to himself. Is the power that he will use to transform these weak mortal bodies of ours. We can look forward to that. So we see that Paul not only criticizes the Judaizers, but he also, but also the self-indulgent people who claim to be Christians but fail to exhibit the ability to comply by living up to the model of servanthood and self-sacrifice set by the Lord Jesus Christ. Before even considering the needs of others, such people chose to satisfy their own Selfish desires And so the application that we can take from this then is freedom to be selfish is not freedom As Christ intended it's not the freedom that Christ wants us to have Instead it means becoming the best person you can be and making the most of every opportunity to serve And so for the Apostle Paul forgetting the past in pursuit of perfection met having the ability it meant having and applying the ability to concentrate the ability to cancel the ability to continue and the ability to comply the question is how willing are you and I to apply the principles and abilities of the apostle Paul that made his life so successful to our own In 2015 as an improvement on our 2014 how willing are we to do that I trust that you are serious and that you will make the necessary changes using Paul as the patent saint that God made him to be in order that you would glorify God more so in 2015 than you did in 2014 shall we pray our Father and God, we are grateful for your servant Paul, for the examples and the principles of his life that he set and mapped out and determined that would be a blessing to others like us today. We pray, O oh God, that we would follow that example because it was said by you, it was determined by you, and was placed before us by you. Guide us, direct us, and sustain us as we endeavor to do just that. For we pray in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.